Welcome to Fronteras, a program that explores issues at the border and beyond through the lens of arts, culture, and history. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. Jovita Idar was a journalist, an educator, a nurse, an activist. She was born in 1885 in Laredo to a family that valued education and justice. Her father was a newspaper publisher, Nicasio Idar. His newspaper, La Cronica, was a Spanish-language newspaper. The paper exposed racist violence against ethnic Mexicans in Texas, inequities in education, and also little-known history of Texas Mexicans. Jovita Idar started her brief teaching career around the age of 18. She then joined her father and two of her brothers at La Cronica. The Mexican Revolution drew Idar across the border as a nurse with the volunteer infirmary service La Cruz Blanca, the White Cross. Idar returned to Laredo in 1913 to work for the Spanish-language newspaper El Progreso. In 1914, President Woodrow Wilson ordered U.S. troops to Mexico during the revolution. Jovita Idar wrote a column in El Progreso critical of the president. The Texas Rangers were sent to shut down the presses. Idar bravely faced them down outside the newspaper office. The Rangers later returned and destroyed and dismantled the printing press. Idar then returned to her father's paper, La Cronica, and took it over when he died in 1914. She later married and moved to San Antonio, where she was politically active. It's where she died in 1946. Jovita Idar's story is one worthy of recognition, but it's been relegated to the sidelines of history for over a century until now. Documentaries have been made about her life, and the U.S. Mint will release a quarter with her image in August. An anthology is in the works that will pay tribute to Jovita Idar, and today we're talking to the publication's co-editors, Christopher Carmona and Isaac Chavarria. Carmona says he became interested in this project when researching early 20th century anti-Mexican violence by the Texas Rangers with the organization Refusing to Forget. For me, how I got into Jovita Idar is because I'm part of the Freezing to Forget project, which we look at anti-Mexican violence in the early 20th century, work with Monica Martinez and others. And also, I'm also, you know, a novelist, so I'm working on a set of novels called El Rinche, which is kind of a young adult superhero novel that deals with this time period. And Rinche, just as a background, it's sort of the term that many Mexican-Americans refer to for the Rangers. Correct. It's a much longer name that I don't think we can say on the video. Rinche's good enough. Yes. (laughs) But um, so when I was doing, I've been doing the research on that for the past 12 years or something like that. But it goes all the way back to my grandfather who lived during that time. Um, And he told me the stories of the Rinches. But uh, when I've been doing my research, Jovita Idad, pops up as one of the main journalists of the time who was covering the atrocities that were occurring. You know, so she becomes a very prominent figure. And uh, so that's when I started to research and, you know, find out that, you know, she's from Laredo, but she did um, spend quite a bit of time in the Rio Grande Valley. And she covered a lot of these events and she was fearless. Um, There's that famous story about her um, where she stops the Texas Rangers from entering her press. Um, and that becomes, I think, the Google Doodle that was on mm-hmm. uh, like a year ago or something. So she's also underrepresented. Like not many people know 
who she is unless you're from the area. Um, you know, she did live half her life in San Antonio. She's buried here. She's an extraordinary figure, and she's in the novels as well. So I did a lot of research on who she was. And so when we heard about the quarter it's going to be released in September here, we started to put together this series of events with uh, you know, Sarah Gold at Mockery and others. And what we're talking about is like we should have an anthology about dealing with her and other prominent Latina journalists and others during this time. And um, so this is kind of how it came about. And then, of course, she got national recognition by being on a U.S. quarter. <laughs> I think she was on the PBS special. where She got her own segment. And so she's barely starting to get the recognition that she deserves. And so I think this anthology is one way to kind of show how she's influenced a lot of different people. Isaac Christopher's mentioning that, you know, Jovita Idar was one of those lesser known figures, unless you were probably living in the same region where she did. But then again, maybe you did not know about her, maybe if you grew up in Laredo or in the Rio Grande Valley or in San Antonio. Do you see maybe the quarter and all this renewed attention on Jovita Idar maybe being part of a greater exposure? to these forgotten figures of history who really were so important in forming the history that we're living in the current day. Definitely there's a part of uh, Mexican-American history and Latino history which hasn't, well, it's, it's about to be rediscovered. Even the work that Chris is doing with the Texas Rangers, it gives a different understanding of the events compared to what is mostly known in Texas. And that's especially important at this current time when sometimes some histories are left out while others are promoted. So it's very important to find a way to promote, you know, all histories as well. And definitely Jovita is is one of those. Well, Isaac, both you and Christopher are teachers, you're instructors at institutions of higher learning. However, we're now starting to see sort of this crackdown, as you were implying earlier, of what can be taught. And previously, this was kind of focused maybe only on public K through 12. But now we're seeing this pressure being put now on institutions of higher learning, including public institutions that receive state funding. Can you tell us maybe how this might be this might be a step backwards in what we're starting to see as maybe after taking so many steps forward and so many more steps backward, why it feels now we're not just stepping backward, but we're being pushed backwards. Right. I think sometimes the narrative wants to be controlled. You know, people want to control the narrative. And in that sense, they're essentially eliminating some of these histories. The Texas Rangers, individuals that have even contributed in, in other aspects and from different cities. I mean, Texas is such a humongous place that there are so many individuals that contribute to that. And when individuals are trying to control what is being taught, then they are essentially try- also trying to control like the narrative of the past and essentially the future as well. Because then that only encourages other individuals to remove some of these histories. Christopher, how has it affected your instruction, your work at Our Lady of the Lake? Well, I've actually worked a lot with the initiative to bring Mexican-American studies into the classrooms, the K-12 through initiative. At Our Lady of the Lake is not as much because we're actually a private institution. So we've kind of gone the other way. And we were pushing more Mexican-American, uh, more uh, ethnic studies. But um, 
It is a backlash because I think the fact of the matter is that we are in a time where the demographics are not in the favor of what it used to be in the past. Right now in the state of Texas, the student population is 73.5 students of color. 53% of that are, are Latino. And so this is the future, right? And when we get into the colleges and, and most of the students going to college, the numbers are practically the same. So we have a lot more students of color in higher education. The curriculum and things that we've been pushing for the past uh, 10, like 50 years, if you go all the way back to 1969, but recently within the past 10 years has been a push for more ethnic studies within universities as well. And the high schools have been, the public schools have been harder, but the universities have started to open up a lot more centers for Mexican-American studies and things like that to embrace that these are the histories that are shifting. But when we have, um, especially in Texas, a very strong mythology about what Texas means, right? To have these stories come out there and being told, especially right now when the Texas Rangers are celebrating their bicentennial anniversary, we are counteracting that with these narratives like Jovita Idad and others who were constantly writing about these things. It tarnishes that myth, right? Because therefore, there's this is not just one straight narrative, which is basically this kind of white uh, nationalist type of identity that Texas has. And we were disrupting that. I mean, we were disrupting that because it's the truth. It's history, right? Hovithay that was doing this back 100 years ago. And, you know, so she is a unique figure because she had her own press. She had La Cronica, which was probably the most prominent one. And she did work for others as well. But she had a press that she ran herself, which, you know, we're looking at 1910, right, 1915. That is a, you know, that's a unique position to have. Christopher Carmona is an associate professor of English and Mexican-American studies at Our Lady of the Lake University in San Antonio. Isaac Chavarria is an instructor of English at South Texas College in McAllen. They are co-editors of a forthcoming anthology that's a tribute to journalist, teacher, nurse, and activist Jovita Idar. Still to come, Chavarria and Carmona are accepting submissions for the Jovita Idar anthology. It's open for poetry, some essay and drama, pieces that are maybe even testimonials reflecting on, on her work. And, and of course, artwork is also included with photography, drawings. Our conversation continues next on Fronteras. Welcome back to Fronteras. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. Jovita Idar's life is worthy of a feature film. She was a journalist, a teacher, a volunteer nurse during the Mexican Revolution, a community leader, a civil rights activist, and a feminist. It's a life that, if her story were more well-known, would inspire millions a forthcoming anthology is collecting stories from people who are learning her story and who've been inspired by it. Christopher Carmona and Isaac Chavarria are co-editing the anthology. Carmona tells us how he first came to know and be inspired by Jovita Idar. So I, I came across Jovita Idar when I started the research on, on the Matanza, which is the term we use for the massacre of Mexican-Americans in the early 20th century. Well, she didn't actually write under her own name at that time. That came later. But her name constantly popped up because she was involved in one of the first gatherings of Mexican-Americans in 1911 that was kind of organized by her father, Clemente Edad. And she gave these 
incredible speeches uh, at this event. And she just pops up a lot in the research. And that's when I first got interested in who is this woman, right? And then as time goes on, she starts to pick up a lot more uh, attention from different places. And that's kind of how I got involved in looking at Tovita Idad because she was writing the articles. She was um, a prominent figure during this time. So the when they went to burn down her press, there's letters and things that connected back to the president at the time because he saw her as an instigator. So he's the one that kind of passed the word down to the governor, to the rangers, to burn down her studio to get her to stop publishing. Because things. she was protesting the U.S. involvement in the war at the Correct. time. <laughs> there was military occupation in the Rio Grande Valley at the time because they were said they were bandits. That's the term they used, that they were being overrun, which you know, never actually happened. The army was placed on the border at that time. And yeah, of course, the involvement with the Mexican Revolution at the time. But she was writing against them. And um, and so she had national attention at that time from the U.S. president. So Isaac, when was the first time you heard about Jovita Idar? I would probably say like a couple of years back. And it was just in small portions of information, you know, like running into like small biographies of who she was, not really into a lot of details, and honestly, that's what it feels like even growing up in the Valley, at least during when I was growing up, where it probably wasn't until graduate school where I really started hearing about individuals that were representative of the community. And it's the same with Povitaidan. I didn't learn much about her until like probably recent, until the most recent times, um, because just the lack of exposure and education about these characters. And that's interesting, right? Because Cesar Chavez, you know, mm -hmm. he's the great Latino hero, Martin Luther King Jr. And that's kind yeah. of where it ends, right? You don't really hear about all the other really major civil rights, black and brown mm -hmm. figures who were out there who were really making a difference in their own individual communities. And so, Isaac, if you could tell us a little bit about uh, what you plan to do with this particular anthology about Jovita Idar, what are you looking for and who are the people that you are asking to submit material for this anthology? You know, it's open for poetry, some essay and drama. So short plays would also fit. Pieces that are maybe even testimonials reflecting on, on her work. And, and of course, artwork is also included with photography, drawings. The anthology is open to adults, to even younger individuals. We're essentially asking for individuals to submit work that's inspired by her life and by her way of living. But it's not restricted necessarily to like a certain age, a certain type of you know, proficiency in writing. Like you don't need an MFA in order to submit to this. Christopher, what, if anything, have you already received in regards to this anthology? So, I mean, like uh, Isaac was talking about, I've already received some, uh, a few different pieces of artwork, and I've received different types of testimonials and poems. Even though it's dedicated to Jovita Idad, it's also an influence on uh, these Latina women on, on the cultures. And I have one is really talking about Amatayuka um, because they were contemporaries. Mm -hmm. And so they were both living in San Antonio at the same time. And so they had connections. They're talking about inspirational women. 
That's what the one thing that an anthology does, right? It really brings and starts looking at these different aspects. And one of the things that we're doing differently than, than I guess most anthologies are is we're encouraging children's submissions. This is a, a, an inspirational figure for young women, for any young people. You know, seeing someone like this who's basically, you know, the Chicana Lois Lane, right? <laughs> um, before Lois Lane even existed. I she would was even do- put her at Lois Lane. I'd call her <laughs> Superwoman, you <Yes>. know? <laughs> but um, the, hopefully this anthology will can, you know, show to the kids in the school so they can see how someone influential, how someone could also, this is inspirational for them to, you know, go on to college and have their own careers. So we received these different things, and we've gotten some of the pieces of artwork are amazing at what they've done so far, so... It's been interesting so far, and our our call goes all the way to July 30th. So what are the ways that people can contact you to go ahead and make that submission? So we do have, um, like, we've been floating it around, like, Facebook and through email, which is, like, a QR code. But if you email me directly at ccarmonawriter, that's W-R-I-T-E-R at Gmail, and just email me. A lot of people have been doing that because I'm getting a lot of older people's submissions who don't Mm -hmm. know how to use the... The, the QR codes. So they're just uh, and they ask how do I submit? It's like just go ahead and email it to me. <laughs> it's just easier. So, but yeah, so you can just do it that way. They can and uh, I've gotten quite a few through email at this point. But you can email it to either myself or to Isaac, and uh, we can get the submissions. Isaac, I'm curious. You know, whenever people have these anthologies, you know, prior to them being put together, you have art, you have poems, you have narrative. Do you kind of like spread them all over the floor? Of course, I'm thinking, of course, with paper, right? But I'm sure you're working electronically. But I guess figuratively speaking, you just kind of spread it all over the floor. And do you eaty miny mow it to try to figure out what order you want to do it in? Because I can't imagine there's got to be a a, a form or a process in figuring out what's going to open the anthology, what's going to close the anthology. What's your thought process in, in sort of tying all it, all of it together to make it a really nice publication in the order that you would like to present it to readers? Well, I do print it out. I do print it out <laughs> because I do work better with paper and sometimes I, I need to visually see it in front of me in order to determine like which goes first. And Sometimes it just depends on what feels right, which is not a very direct and great answer, but what <laughs> it feels right. Sometimes you want to start the anthology, the publication with a really strong statement. And so a piece that perhaps almost like introduction type of statement, that's what I would probably begin with. And then I usually think about the first piece and the last piece, the beginning and the closing, you know, something that sets the tone towards the end and end piece. And in most cases, I prefer to mix the forms, meaning I don't group them by poetry and then, you know, maybe essays and photography or artwork. I try to have a mixture of them where they complement each other. And sometimes, obviously, a lot of these individuals don't know what each the other is writing, but they seem to fit together. And it could almost be organized in the form of like a story, a narrative in itself. In this process, we often don't look at names, backgrounds, the ages. That doesn't matter. It's just a piece itself and where it belongs within like this anthology. So this anthology is connected to the quarter commemoration that we have is going to be happening starting September 15th, which is also the start of 
Hispanic Heritage Month. So we're trying to, we want to have the anthology ready by by the time the, that happens. And that's going to be a series of panels. Um, and also we're working with the city of San Antonio. So I think on the Sunday events, it's going to take place in the Market Square. And the U.S. Mint is going to be giving out quarters. So they're going to be giving out the hooker. Free thing. money, people. <laughs> Free money. Free quarters, exactly. <laughs> and so um, it's tied to that event, but it's also hopefully something that can be used to educate people on who she was and how she's influencing so many different people. Because it's open to anybody in the world, right? So it's not limited to Texas. I encourage individuals to submit their work, even if they're at this moment not yet familiar with Obiteidad. This is a perfect opportunity for them to search up Uvitaidad, her life, and maybe see some of the similarities within their own life or other individuals which inspire them. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a good opportunity to educate ourselves even further. Isaac Chavarria is an instructor of English at South Texas College in McAllen. Christopher Carmona is an associate professor of English and Mexican-American studies at Our Lady of the Lake University in San Antonio. They are co-editors of a forthcoming anthology about journalist, educator, and activist Jovita Idar. Find out more about how to submit entries to the anthology at tpr.org. Thanks for joining us for Fronteras. Fronteras is produced by Norma Martinez and Marianne Navarro. Our executive producer is Dan Katz. Our editor is Fernando Ortiz Jr. Charanga Cakewalk composed our theme music. Hear past episodes at tpr.org and on the Fronteras podcast. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio.